This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Napa know-how. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. All right, good. Blog Talk Radio. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking right in front of Kaepernick out of a shotgun. And here it is. Kaepernick will run it and deny the end zone on the game's final play by Indomitian Sue. But you mentioned the effort of Sue. Phenomenal. So the Dolphins win their sixth straight game, first time since 2005. And that is right, folks. Six games in a row for the Miami Dolphins. And that is an impressive streak, considering the fact that six games, the last time the Dolphins won six games in a row, 2005. They have at least seven wins in their first 11 games for the first time since 2003 when the team started 7-4 and four and finished the season 10-6. and six. Adam Gase joins Don Shula and Nick Saban uh, as the only head coaches in Dolphins history to string together at least six straight wins. And that, have, of course, is extremely impressive. Sutton and Houts, welcome to Finsider Radio. Houts, welcome back. We know you uh, were away last week. You didn't want to talk to us. And, and lo and behold, when House is gone, Sutton and I pull in the highest rated show since we started this thing back in July with over 5,700 listeners last week. That, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> no, it's, it's not a coincidence <laughs> at all. And, and, and Sutton and I are really considering, you know, what our next move here is, especially if ratings plummet after this show tonight. But you know is how there a practice squad you can send me to? What happened? I said, is there a practice squad you can send me down to until I refine my skills and get called back up? <laughs> I can say something really bad right now, but I'm not going to. No, <laughs> you're not you know going I'm to. I'm, I, no, I, I, I can really put someone on blast here, but I'm going to take the high road and how to you know okay. what I'm talking about. Um, yes. Yeah, we're going is to that the, the first time you've ever done that? MC, uh, MC Money, is that the first time you've ever done that? Take the high road, absolutely. Yeah, I, I usually okay. take yeah, the low blow. But listen, listen, if we want to be reputable people, we need to be nice to others, right? We're working on yeah, it. Yeah, we're trying to build a community here. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was going to tell you, how you can go practice on another Dolphins website, but Again, we're not going to go there. We're not going to talk really about other Dolphins websites. I really don't want to do that. No, no, we're going to, we're going to be nice. Anyways, uh, we'll be joined in just a few minutes by Brian Bauer. He's the beat reporter for the Russell Street Report of the Baltimore Ravens, and he's going to talk to us about the game on Sunday. It is a huge game, and actually he's calling in right now, so we're going to put him on in just a few minutes. But there's so much to talk about from the 49ers game. There's so much to talk about 
leading up to the game against the Ravens on Sunday. And there is just not enough time to do a 45-minute podcast. So we might be here for three hours with you guys tonight. Son and House, what do you guys think about that? Whatever we got to do. All right. So so we'll we'll consider it. We'll probably still hang up after 45 minutes because that's all we can really handle. I mean, 45 minutes is our max. Ten seconds is our max when you're talking about something else. Five seconds for House. Three seconds for House. Uh, Sutton. It depends uh, if you're at Panera Bread or not. Oh, yes. <laughs> With some French onion soup and a bread bowl, right? Yeah. All right. You, got right. you guys don't know about Panera Bread. You guys don't know about French onion soup. But delicious. It is what it is. And maybe one day if you join our inner circle, you know, the inner circle that we text. <laughs> you know, we tried, we tried to text each other this past week and we got yelled at by McKinney. Remember that? I, how, how, dare, how dare we interrupt him drinking beer on a boat? Yeah, he was dick. drinking beer for four <laughs> straight days. And that is absolutely Actually, ridiculous. I think he said um, it was rum, but um, tomato, beer, tomato. rum, same thing. Messed up All either right. way. Here's what we're going to do. I was going to open the show and talk about Kiko Alonso and him stuffing Colin Kaepernick at, at the one-yard line and how that was poetic justice considering Kiko Alonso was a Cuban-American and, and Kaepernick was praising Fidel Castro leading up to the game. But we, of course, as always, got sidetracked because Sutton and House have the attention span of a two-year-old, uh, just like my daughter. Actually, I think my daughter has more of an attention span than, her, than them. So we'll get back to Kiko Alonso later in the show. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to bring in Brian Bauer, and I mentioned him at the top of the show. Brian Bauer, the beat reporter for Russell Street Report, covers the Baltimore Ravens. Brian, welcome to Finsider Radio. Hey, guys. How are you tonight? We're doing fantastic. We are riding high on a six-game winning streak, the first time since 2005. And Brian is a great guy. Uh, We follow each other on Twitter for quite a few years now. And he actually has yeah. another initiative besides his Ravens thing. It's called F Player Positive, and he really focuses on the good that players in the NFL and on the Ravens do in the community. So we'll talk about that in a little bit too as well, Brian. But first, leading up to the and, game on Sunday, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was actually, you know, I wasn't going to cut you guys off, man. I, I really want to hear what you guys got to say about that Kiko Alonso thing, man. I've been following that pretty intensely there. And, uh, man, that's some crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, that that was crazy. You know, Colin Kaepernick with the Malcolm X shirt several months ago. This wasn't leading up to this game. Yeah. And Armando Salguero, whose parents came from Cuba, um, mm-hmm. you know, really have strong feelings on that. And Kaepernick praised when Salguero pu- punched him on it uh, this conference call this past week. <laughs> Kaepernick started praising Fidel Castro. So, you know, Kiko Alonso yeah. even said after the game, and his father was interviewed after the game, there were some extra strong emotional feelings, and I'm sure – that last hit to Kiko Alonso smacked down on Kaepernick felt really, really good for him. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more there, that's for sure. And uh, the way right, that so Kaepernick's are... knees bent backwards, I didn't know he bent in such a way. Yeah, he looked like an accordion. Yes, he did. <laughs> it was a great thing. Poetic justice. All right, so the Ravens, <laughs> the Ravens are 6-5. and five. They're uh, first place in the AFC North. Steelers are tied record-wise with them, 6-5, and five, but the Ravens hold the tiebreakers. And really, it's a two-man race in the AFC North between the Ravens and the Steelers. And, and you look at the Ravens' record, and you're like, and then you look at their defense and how they're one of the best in the NFL. And then you see that okay, maybe those two really don't correlate that well with each other. I mean, how can a team be six and five, right, and um, be uh, two and three on the road, four and two at home, but be one of the top three to five defenses in the NFL? What's going on there, Brian? Is it the offense that's been struggling as of late, or is it just close games that they just let slip away? Uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of both there, guys, in, in all honesty. I mean, you look at this Ravens offense heading into the season here, and it was supposedly the offense was going to be the strong point, and, uh, you know, the defense was going to be the weak link there. But, you know, it's been everything but here. You know, Joe, And it starts with Joe Flacco as well. You know, Joe coming off that injury, whether or not he, he's really healed yet, yeah, it is still unknown, you know, at least publicly or not. But, uh, they, you know, this Ravens offense has been putrid at times. Um, you know, and then they show flashes of signs of life, too. You know, it, it just seems to be, I don't know whether it's something to do with the coordinators or the head coaching staff, but something is awry there as well. You know, they are, they are unable to put these teams away, and they let them hang out, or they let them hang around 
rather, and you know, and and it's coming back to bite them in the butt sometimes here, especially over the first course of the season. Now, you know, they're six and five. John Harbaugh, you know, says his weekly comp press conferences. The offense is turning over a new page. It's getting better and better each week, but yet, you know, it, they're still stuttering. Um, you know, they're they're unable to pour. You know, to even find ways to win this football game, and it's basically come down to the defense and Justin Tucker kind of saving the day for them. So we're going to come. Brian, right thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so we're going to cut right to the chase. And before I throw it over to you, Sutton, and how uh, for your questions, I just want to get in one thing. You were talking about the offense there and, you know, how it's been struggling as of late. But you look at the offense, and I know Steve Smith was injured for part of the season, but mm-hmm. you look at a guy like Mike Wallace. Uh, the crazy thing is that Ryan Tannehill leads the NFL with 50-plus yard completions uh, with six in a, in a game uh, throughout the season so far. Joel Flacco is second mm-hmm. with five games where he's had a 50-plus yard completion. And, and you got to attribute that to Mike Wallace, who Dolphins fans are extremely familiar with. And when Wallace was here, everyone blamed Ryan Tannehill for not having a good deep ball. But we know there was chemistry issues there. Mike Wallace goes to Minnesota and struggles with Teddy Bridgewater. Now he's in Baltimore, and he's thriving again. We all know Joe Flacco throws a pretty deep ball. How concerned should Dolphins fans be on Sunday of Mike Wallace and exploding off the top of the defense? Anyway, truth, truthfully told, it, it's, it's unknown. You know, in, in all honesty, I mean, sometimes you, you really think he's going to be heavily involved in a game plan. They, they'll try a deep ball to him early, and you know, if it's successful, you, know, you may not see it again. Um, and that's the thing about Mike. You know, he, he's been here, uh, you know, this year you know, ha, has been just willing to put in the hard work that, that it takes. You know, I don't know whether or not he's he figured this was his last ride here in Baltimore, his last chance or whatever. But he was really enthusiastic about working with Joe Flacco, obviously. Um, you know, four receptions of 50 yards plus already th- this year. Um, you know, so, so they do connect. And, and the thing about Wallace is that they were so unsure about the way – um, you know, he was going to be utilized. Obviously, Steve Smith with the injury there, you know, they wanted to have some sort of veteran guy. They had Brashad Perryman who has, you know, who didn't even see the football field in his rookie year and it took him a little while to get there. So he was basically an insurance policy for that deep ball now. But, you know, not only the deep ball, but they're actually starting to get on the ball in some space there too, you know, in these little screen passes and just letting his speed kind of do it. So, um, you know, I look for at least four to five targets a game right there. You know, usually is what he's averaging. Um, you know, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. And, you know, I think the return of Steve Smith is going to kind of take some of those targets away. But, uh, you know, moving forward there, I do expect him to be, you know, a, a big part of this offense, particularly against Miami this week. Brian uh, Sutton here, and thanks for joining us tonight. I have – I actually have two questions, so I'm going to kind of cheat. Uh, but one of these is a very selfish question, so I need you to answer this for me. <clears throat> I'm going to be in attendance at the game in Baltimore this Sunday. How do I survive? And then after that, my question is, if you're drawing up a game plan to move the ball against the Baltimore defense, what does that look like? Uh, in all honesty, uh, yeah, I'm going to answer your second question first. Um, yeah, if you're drawing up a game plan here, it's going to rely a lot on Ryan Tannehill. You know, I, the Ravens have had pretty pretty good success against these stellar running backs. J.H.I. is another one of these running backs they're going to have their hands full with. And, and they have been able to kind of stop these featured backs here lately. But, you know, if you look at these Dolphins wide receivers, you know, why they're not big or while they're not real big sexy names that we always hear on SportsCenter and throughout the, throughout the media and all that, you know, these are three guys that, that, can, that can hurt you. And particularly, you know, you look at this Ravens secondary, they've been struggling here. Uh, the absence of Jimmy Smith, now whether or not he plays this week um, or not, yeah, it's pretty much come down to the shoulders of Sharice Wright and uh, the rookie Tavon Young. Now both of those guys have kind of been struggling. So I would expect a big day for Ryan Tannehill, particularly going up against Sharice Wright there too because, you know, he hasn't been able to cover anybody or anything this season so far. A matter of fact, the only reason he was even in the lineup is because you know because t- of the injury to Jimmy Smith. Outside of that, you know he's been benched uh, numerous times there for the rookie Tavon Young, and then you also throw throw in the struggling uh, play of Gerard Powers. I mean, it, you know, he had a slot corner position there. Maybe he was benched last week in favor. They brought Ladarius Webb 
um, you know, into that slot position and inserted Matt Elam there in, as the second safety there next to Eric Weddle. But, uh, you know, I think Miami's game plan um, is definitely going to be through the air. I'm sure Dean Pease's defense is going to be, you know, heavily keyed on stopping a jai up front there and, and forcing Ryan Tannehill to beat him, which is, which is certainly very possible considering the situation uh, of that Ravens secondary. And you know the second the second part of your question there too is you know I, I really don't think you have anything to worry about here. I think Ravens fans are kind of you know some some of the most relaxed. I think um, you know yes there have been situations here, but you know all in all you, know, you should be just fine as well. So you know no concerns there. I don't have for you whatsoever. So if I drink enough beer, everything will be okay. <clears throat> that, that's what you're telling me. <laughs> Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I wouldn't be surprised if you get a few Ravens fans buying you guys some beers, too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> listen, listen. Uh, again, we're joined by Brian Bauer of the Russell Street Report. He's a beat reporter for them and covers the Baltimore Ravens. Also runs the initiative on Twitter at Player Positives, covers all the good things <clears throat> players are doing in the community. Uh, you mentioned Baltimore fans buying you a beer. I was in Cleveland a few weeks ago. I actually met up with Sutton. And I got to tell you that people in Cleveland are some of the nicest people you will ever meet, mm-hmm. right? But once you get to the stadium, oh, my goodness, they are a different breed. I mean, you didn't even <laughs> want to go near them. You want to talk to them. They were just absolutely out of their minds. But on the streets, you know, leading up to the game, before the game, nicest people you'll ever meet <clears> in your life. All right, Houts, go ahead with your question. Um, Brian, this is Houts from the Finsider. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, my question for you is, Lately, Baltimore's absolutely had the Dolphins' numbers throughout the last decade or so, and Miami always seems to struggle against the Ravens. Uh, what are your thoughts and predictions for this Sunday's game? You know what, guys? You know, when I when I sit here and look at this series history, um, you know, with with Miami actually leading the Ravens, they're six to five. Um, you know, they're two. <clears throat> excuse me, the Ravens are two and one against them in Baltimore. Um, you know what? In, in all honesty, I never really know what to expect out of this Ravens team, particularly the offense. You know, and I still think it's going to be a major struggle for even Joe Flacco to move this ball come Sunday afternoon. I think it's going to be a defensive effort there, and you know, given <clears throat> some of the weapons that that, that Miami has there in, in their receiving core, um, you know, it, I think it's going to be another nail biter kind of game for Baltimore. And in all honesty. Yeah, you know, I look at it two ways. If Jimmy Smith's out, I think Miami wins by at least ten points. Uh, Jimmy Smith and wow. I think the Ravens win by three on Justin Tucker's leg. Mm. Um, yeah, Justin Tucker is a fantastic kicker. Listen, uh, Brian, before we let you go, um, I know you kind of touched on it already, but us Dolphins fans, we're petrified of the Ravens. We haven't won in Baltimore since 1997, which is absolutely mm-hmm. insane. Last year, the Dolphins beat Baltimore 15 to 13. But it's been kind of this thing where it seems like every season the Dolphins and the Ravens are playing each other, and they're always these kind of, um, you know, fist-fight games where it's close and it's a, it's a slugfest and you throw Steve Smith in there and his, his attitude. I'm concerned about the receivers going up against the Dolphins cornerbacks. I know the Dolphins cornerbacks have improved greatly over the past several weeks, but your receiving core, just by <clears throat> name, names only, um, mm-hmm. scares me a little bit. What can you do to alleviate my fears about the Baltimore receiving core, or are my fears warranted, and should we be concerned about them? You know what? In, in all honesty, I yeah, I think it's going to be a little of both again. I hate to kind of tread around that answer there, but you know, I really do because you know, you look at the shape of this Ravens offense. I think if Miami's able to get any sort of pressure on Joe Flacco, which is definitely um, you know, achievable given the state of this offensive line. You know, you got Marshall Yonda playing left guard instead of right guard. Uh, you got the rookie Ronnie Stanley still kind of learning the ropes there. Rick Wagner has been their best offensive lineman, and Jeremy Zuda, the center, he's he's been struggling all all season as well. So I think of any sort of pass rush there, you know, Joe Flacco still back foot. Joe kind of throws off the back foot repeatedly, and I, I do think it's a good chance that you you know that Miami's defense can get a turnover or two. But as far as these wide receivers go, um, you know, I, I really – I mean, outside of Steve Smith and Mike Wallace, um, you know, those two guys, they kind of been getting a lot most of the targets there. The tight end, Dennis Pitta, has kind of tracked off after that game in Cleveland where he looked like he was going to have a breakout year. But, you know, all in all, it, it's anyone's guess. And, you know, and it also goes to the shape of the Ravens running backs as well. You know, are they going to be able to move the ball against Miami on the ground? And if they do have success, will the Ravens coach and staff stick with that? You know, oftentimes this season we've seen them 
you know, pretty much try and fix what isn't broken there. But, you know, all in all, I do expect a hard-fought matchup, that's for sure. And, you know, I, I think, though, it, again, Jimmy Smith there is going to be the key there for the Ravens' defense. And the offense is definitely going to hinge upon on, the, on which Joe Flacco is going to show up to the football game. All right, Brian Bauer from the Russell Street Report, beat reporter for the Baltimore Ravens. Brian, thank you again for joining us. If you want to follow him on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at SportsGuy. Sports guy, I should say, S P O R T, right? Sports guy, or is it sport guy? Yeah, or sports, sports, yeah, sport guy? no S, yeah, just sport guy. Yeah, sport guy R S R at sport guy R S R. Give him a follow. Great, great intel on the Ravens. Uh, is around the team pretty much on a daily basis. Knows a lot. If you want some good information leading up to the game and before the, and during the game as well, give him a follow again at sport guy R S R. Brian, thanks again for joining us tonight. Hey, guys, thanks a lot for having me. And uh, you guys ever need anything, feel free to holler. All right, take care. All right, so that was Brian Bauer from Russell Street Report. Quick thoughts before we uh, kind of jump back to the 49ers game. And, um, you know, I, I told Brian I'm concerned about the game on Sunday. What do you think? Is the Brian's comments alleviate your concerns a little bit? Man, I was um... – to hear him so concerned over the injury of Jimmy Smith is what kind of caught me off guard about that whole conversation. Like I knew, I, I thought that Tannehill could uh, take advantage of the Ravens cornerbacks, but I didn't think it was, I mean, he, he thought it was a 13 point swing based upon this one guy. I mean, that's possibly an exaggerated guess of a biased Ravens fan, but still just, um, I think that's something to take to take note of because if we can get the offensive line healthy and we can give Tannehill some time, that might be how we beat this Ravens uh, defense. Maybe it's just a big play or two. Um, we have to be kind of opportunistic in a game like this. That's one of the other vibes that I kind of got from him is that if we can uh, take advantage of a, a few plays here and there, maybe um, if we do uh, – get a Flacco interception or a strip sack or something like that, that we uh, take that field position and go with it and, and get points on the board. Yeah, you're right. The Dolphins definitely need to come out firing on all cylinders. They cannot afford to really get behind on this tough Baltimore defense. How's, what do you think after Brian's phone call to us? Yeah, I'm, I was a little surprised. Like Sutton said, I was, uh, I don't know, coming into this, I think the Dolphins struggle against the Ravens, and I know they have a pretty good defense, so I thought maybe, if anything, the – you'd be a little bit more optimistic about their chances. But, I mean, I guess it eases, the thing, eases things a little bit. But for me, I think at the end of the day, the Dolphins, like Sutton said, the offensive line needs to get healthy and they just need to protect Tannehill and uh, hopefully get the run game working. But uh, it was nice to hear that if it's their corners out that he, he thinks Miami has a good chance of beating them. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that's a pray that Jimmy Smith is out on Sunday, right? I mean, obviously never hope injury on a player. But, hell, if he's injured right now, let's just hope that injury continues until after they play the Dolphins. Because I know people say, oh, well, we want to beat them at their best. Get get out of here, okay? This is the NFL. A win is hard enough. You saw it against the 49ers on Sunday, a team that was 1-10, right? Um, yes. One yard away from tying the game, basically. And who knows if they would have gone for two. They have absolutely nothing to lose. Chip Kelly's the kind of – Oh, God, yeah. Oh, absolutely they would have. You know? Yeah, I think and there's no question that was my like fear. That. If they got in the end zone, they were going for two, and they were going to try and win that game. Yep. That's what made me really nervous we all about a game like that. that. I think we were all feeling that. And the NFL, you need you need lucky breaks to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Dolphins will get to the Super Bowl. All right. Um, we're not buying our tickets yet. We'll buy our, tic- we'll buy our tickets in two weeks. But yeah. if you look at Super Bowl winners and playoff winners, they get they get a lot of luck, okay? And you have to have luck in the NFL and catch breaks, and if Jimmy Smith is out for the Ravens, the Dolphins will certainly take it. All right, we're going to bring on our best buddy, Dolphin Fan for Life. He told us his name last week, but I completely forgot what his name was. Christoph. Come on, man. Christoph. That's what it was. Christoph. All right, Christoph wanted to talk about the offense, but he said uh, our interview with Brian kind of ruined that for him. So he wants to talk about the draft, I think. Christoph, is that true? Um, Well... First, I wanted to make a little comment about my uh, my thoughts about this uh, game coming trouble. up. You're in trouble, no, I'm not really. Late flashed out at you. 
No, um, basically, I just think that we have a better chance than a lot of people think because this seems to be our type of game. We've been pretty much playing with battle and less finesse, and the Ravens are a battle-type team, and when they play that type of game, that's what we've been winning in. You know, when we're forced to play against finesse teams and play with finesse, that seemed to be what spawned our losing streak. You know, both the ground and pound and, you know, back against the wall mentality just seems to be working for us. And that's what the Ravens like to force people to do. And um, I think we have a better chance with this team, this defense, than we did with Queasy Joe and his finesse offense. You know. Queasy Joe, I like that nickname. I know we've all used that nickname, but the way you just used that in context, Christoph, the way you just made that flow in that sentence was really special. Thank you. <laughs> You're um, welcome. All right, so what's your question? Regarding the draft, okay, it just seems like everything we said we needed at the beginning of the season seems to be coming play to place as we end the season. Like we said, we needed a middle linebacker. Kiko Alonso is playing lights out. We said we needed a cornerback. Yeah. We have like the eighth ranked um, passing defense. And it's not necessarily just because of the pass rush or anything like that, because really up until recently, I mean, with Wake and his sacks, you know, we weren't really – doing anything, but we still had the eighth ranked. We weren't getting to the quarterback. We were just touching them, basically. Would you focus on the offensive line early, considering the fact that, I mean, shower aside and whatnot, it just seems to be like we can never stay healthy. And if not, or if so, would you move up, move down, or what would you do? All right, I'll take Christoph, this one. Thank you. Can I, can I please? Yeah, please yeah, go can I take this one, please? Can, so, can you just relax think, button and put um, your hand down? <laughs> please, 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 please. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think we uh, we go defense. I think it's more prudent to go defensive end, in my opinion. And the reason for that, it's a uh, premium position. And hopefully we're picking in the late 20s, early 30s, hopefully 30 seconds. <laughs> but from the research that I've seen, uh, defensive ends are a, a, one of the premium positions that teams can find later on in the first round and throughout the draft. So I'm looking at Cam Wake, Mario Williams getting up there. Andre Branch has certainly uh, definitely stepped up his game and made himself known and made himself uh, certainly a viable candidate to get a contract extension. But in terms of long-term growth and what we're going to need in our division, we're going to need to keep that pass rush up. I think that's the one um, really central piece of Vance Joseph's scheme right now is that we're able to get so much out of the front four. So we're going to have to continue that productivity and I don't think we're going to be able to do that long-term uh, with Cam Wake and Mario Williams going more than a year or two down the road. All right, Christoph, thank you for calling us on Finsider Radio. Christoph is a loyal listener, loyal caller, and really I'm not sure what we would do without Christoph. He's a man. Yeah, he is He is great. All right, going to press that hang-up button on Christoph. We will get to the live thread questions in just a little bit. We just had another caller come in. Uh, we'll get to him in just a second. But let's jump back to the game on Sunday versus the 49ers. And uh, Sutton, we're going to start with you. We'll jump to Houts right after. While you guys are talking, I'm going to screen this call that's coming in. But Sutton, give me one thing on offense and one thing on defense from the game against the 49ers that the Dolphins can build off of and go into the game against the Ravens. And then when Sutton's done, Houts, you're going to take over and jump in. And uh, give me two things as well. Sutton, go ahead. Okay. Uh, On offense, I got that Ryan Tannehill can win the quote-unquote dare, you know, dare me to beat you deep game. I think that was an important milestone for him that he can uh, multiple games uh, 
put a game together like that, put his put the team on his shoulders and and throw the ball and do it well, wait in games and win games for us. So I think the fact that um, and what I've seen around is, you know, Ajayi might be struggling or something. I just want to uh, point out the fact that how many eight- and nine-man boxes he was facing that week with three of those offensive linemen hurt. So I'm not necessarily uh, jumping over bridge because I don't think Ajayi can run anymore. I think uh, San Francisco's game plan is very deliberate. And really, if you're a one-and-nine team, what other game plan is there we're, you know, we're the worst run defense in the entire NFL. We're not going to let you just run it all over us the entire game. You're going to have to beat us deep, and Tannehill proved that he could do that. And I think if it weren't for a couple of inches, Devontae Parker would have had another 60 yards and a touchdown on top of what he already did. So, um, and then he had the, the nice pass to Kenny Stills. And so, you're looking at an offense where you're thinking, well, maybe we can generate some big plays too. So I think that was a good, um, a good positive out of the offense uh, against San Francisco. And then on D, I thought it was a wake-up call. We need to be able to get off the, the field better on third down. We were the best third down uh, defense in the NFL going into the game. And uh, I just saw them consistently let San Francisco get third and fourth down plays <clears throat> Uh, to extend drives, and that's what made it such a nail-biting finish there. Um, granted, there are some questionable Adam Gase play calls there at the end. We might talk about that later. But on defense, it's just, hello, wake up. We're going to be playing Baltimore at Baltimore. We need to uh, find a way to get off the field when we need to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but for me the most impressive thing is just how well the Dolphins – offense continued to play without those three starting offensive linemen. Like you said, we were without Brandon Albert, uh, Mike Pouncey and Laramie Tunsil and the Dolphins put up 31 points. I mean, I know it's San Francisco, but we've seen time and time again, how this offensive line was always an area of weakness against and Tannehill would consistently have pressure in his face. And I mean, even with those, those three uh, perennial Pro Bowl caliber type players out the Dolphins still managed to do well through the air I think Tannehill was sacked two times and I mean like you said you'd like to see the run game be a little more effective but with San Francisco stacking the box and committing nine guys or eight or nine guys inside the box I mean the Dolphins did well and and we saw Jai score a touchdown so I mean like you said it's nothing to be alarmed about with the Jai I just think uh, defenses are starting to game plan for him but for me it was the way the offensive line managed to to hold their own against San Francisco and do enough to keep the Dolphins in this game and to continue to fight late in the game. Uh, as far as defense, for me, like you said, it's another it's a wake-up call. The last few weeks, the Dolphins have been pretty good defensively, and, and I mean, they just let Colin Kaepernick just pretty much have his way with them. We've seen it time and time again with this defense that mobile quarterbacks always seem to, to give the Dolphins a bit of a uh, a misfit or a mismatch there, and uh, Miami just needs to do better against – Mobile quarterbacks, I know we have uh, Tyrod Taylor coming up throughout throughout the next few weeks. And and uh, the Dolphins, they just need to settle down. They need to continue to play the run well and continue to to play well against the pass, and I think everything will be all right. You mentioned Colin Kaepernick. Um, he was an absolute monster on Sunday, and I had tweeted right before the game started that I was concerned about him because I watched his entire game against the Patriots. Uh, the week before, and he had made some very impressive throws and, and, of course, using his feet. Colin Kaepernick rushed 10 times for 113 yards. I mean, that's running back numbers. He threw for 296, three touchdowns, one interception, attempted the, uh, 46 times throwing the ball, completed it 29 times. But he really did a number on the Dolphins' defense, and the Dolphins really didn't put a spy on Kaepernick, which was kind of – uh, dumbfounding, uh, they did end up putting a spy on him as the game went on, but early in the game, they were just letting him run free uh, throughout the entire field, and it was actually, I'm sitting there, I'm like, why don't they put a spy on, on Kaepernick? And, and you put a spy on him, but then you lose, obviously, something in coverage. So, of course, they probably preferred another guy back in coverage rather than a spy, but I'm glad they did put a spy on him on that final play of the game. If you, if you go back and watch the tape, if you have access to the tape, um, I think everyone that's a Dolphins fan was just biting their nails because we've seen this story before, right? I mean, it reminds me of Tim Tebow back 
years ago when they were driving down the field, almost a similar game like the 49ers where the Dolphins were just dominating up by a whole bunch, and all of a sudden in the last few minutes, the opposing team comes back, and okay, now they're within a touchdown of tying the game. And that was exactly what happened with Tim Tebow, except they won the game. But, you know, they get down to the five-yard line, and you got this mobile quarterback, and you know, right, they're probably going to take the ball and just run with it. So as they're lining up and they get out in the spread formation, I'm like, oh, my God. So, first of all, Adam Gates has to call a timeout, which Joe Philbin probably would have done. So that tells me that they guessed the right deep, uh, offense. The 49ers were going to come in. And I'm just standing there um, at my in-laws' house and like, okay, this is the part where the Dolphins lose the game. You know, they score a touchdown, the 49ers go for two, and that's going to be it, and that's the end of the streak, and it's a huge blow to the Dolphins and their playoff chances. And then they put a spy on Kaepernick. But they put Jelani Jenkins on him. But if you watch closely, Jenkins overruns the play, runs past Kaepernick. Kaepernick yeah, cuts back inside. Yeah, Nadamik and Sue out of nowhere pulls him down, and Kiko Alonso just puts a blasting hit on Kaepernick, bends him backwards like you guys said in accordion. But even with the spy there, they still almost didn't execute the play. And I know my emotions were off the charts. I know everyone on Twitter's emotions were off the charts. I'm sure everyone in the stadium was just standing there freaking out, you know, thinking the Dolphins were going to lose, saying, okay, same old Dolphins are back. But, man, those – I guess that's what football is, right, in being a passionate fan. The joy of winning, the thrill of winning, and the agony of defeat, and you hate losing more than you love winning, and all those cliches that come into play. But, really, when the Dolphins win, I watch all the highlight shows. I listen to the radio the next day. When the Dolphins lose, I do the complete opposite. I shut down and don't listen to anything until about Wednesday or Thursday when they start talking about the next week. But just a huge win for the Dolphins. And I know we're short on time, so we're going to move on. Um, but, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Now, you guys mentioned Jay Ajayi, too, his struggles against the 49ers and people game-planning for him. But, Sutton, do you think that Ajayi's struggles versus the 49ers and the Rams? Remember, the 49ers have one of the worst rushing defenses in the league, if not the worst. Um, do you think that trouble is going to carry over into the game against the Ravens, who have one of the best rush defenses in the NFL? I mean, it's a great question because against Baltimore, we're going to need to keep some kind of balance on offense. We can't go one-dimensional like we were in the Philbin era. And I think we can be a really dangerous play-action team, and I think we might be able to spring one on them if we're able to establish a run game and get a nice play-action pass over the top on Sunday, and hopefully they go into the corner of the end zone where I will be located in the fourth row. Um, but with Jay Ajayi, I don't – I can't really think that it's his ability that we should be worried about right now. I don't think he's running any less hard or, ha- you know, his vision is any worse than it was earlier in the year. I just – happen to think that San Francisco put a lot of people in the box and his box score just didn't look that good. His, his carries didn't look that good. And his, his yardage total didn't look that good, but I uh, look at how many plays at San Francisco got penetration up the middle uh, to negate some of his running angles. And um, I just can't put that all on him. I think it's a package deal. Uh, Granted, maybe he could have broke a couple more tackles, but I really think it was a combination of the uh, offensive line being injured and um, San Francisco just overplaying the run to an almost fairly ridiculous degree. Um, Now, granted, Baltimore has a fantastic run defense, and Brian told us earlier that it's uh, legit. But we've also seen when this offensive line is healthy, and we went against the New York Jets with the number one rated run defense that we were able to move the ball late in the fourth quarter on the ground. So if we can follow that same kind of game plan, that same kind of trajectory, I think we're going to be in a good spot. And, of course, with JHIE struggling against the Rams and the 49ers, the Dolphins have called upon Ryan Tannehill to lead the team. And he has done very well in, in the fourth quarter of the past six games. He's gone 27 of 43 for 364 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, giving him a 120.7 quarterback rating and an 8.47 yards per attempt average. 
In the fourth quarter since week six, Tannehill has tied for sixth in the NFL in passing touchdowns with four, sixth in quarterback rating 120.7, and seventh in yards per attempt 8.47. Tannehill, of course, is playing some of the best football of his career lately. He's posted a 130.6 quarterback rating in two of his past three games, and which ranks number two in his career. In two of his past three games, he's posted two of his top three highest career quarterbacks ratings. He's thrown for over 100 career touchdowns last week against San Francisco, had three touchdowns in that effort where, of course, they won the game. His three touchdowns marked the fourth time in Tannehill's career that he threw for at least three touchdowns and did not turn the ball over. He is one of just three Dolphin quarterbacks to throw for 100-plus touchdowns, joining Dan Marino with 420 and Bob Greasy with 192. Houts, will the Dolphins need to rely on Ryan and Tannehill again against the Baltimore Ravens? And can he do it? Uh, I mean, I, I think they will have to rely on him, whether or not he can do it. I mean, we've seen over these last few weeks that he's more than capable of uh, making plays when the football's in his hand, when the run game's not working or uh, the offensive line's out and struggling. I mean, he, he makes the play. So, I mean, can he? Absolutely, because we've seen over these last six weeks or just the entire season he's progressed. But for me, I mean, as fans of the Dolphins, we've all seen it before where – like you were saying during that Niners game, you were all we were just waiting for something to happen and say, okay, that's the same old Dolphins. So, I mean, he can absolutely beat Baltimore, and I think that's a very good possibility given what Brian said earlier. I mean, he really seemed to think that Tannehill would have success. So, I mean, coming into this, I, I wasn't sure where I was going to go with this, but I'm going to say Tannehill can absolutely beat the Ravens this weekend. Uh, whether or not he does, I mean, it goes back to that whole are the Dolphins going to turn into the Dolphins of old? And, and I mean, this is going to be a tough game for them. I think if the playoffs started today, the Dolphins would be facing the Ravens in the playoffs in the wild card. So, I mean, this could be a matchup we see again if, God forbid, we somehow can pull off a couple victories towards the end of the year and make the playoffs. But, I mean, Baltimore's a playoff-caliber team, and the Dolphins are going to have to do everything they can to beat them this weekend. This is going to be as close as you can get to a playoff game for the Dolphins this season thus far. And, of course, the players have been saying that every game from here on out was a playoff game, and that is absolutely true. Let's hope they keep that mentality. You're right. The Baltimore Ravens games are absolutely a slugfest. They'll be a huge test for the Dolphins. But Ryan Tannehill has shown considerable improvement from week to week and real improvement, not flukes, not anything that he's had lucky. Breaks happen his way. It's considerable improvement. He's carved up the 49ers defense. I'm getting so excited talking about it that I might watch the game after we get off the show tonight. But, um, yeah, I think that will continue to to be successful and continue to improve. All right, we're going to transition away a little bit from that uh, talk about the 49ers and the Ravens. We're going to bring Eric on the line, first-time caller, long-time listener. Eric has two questions for us. <laughs> Eric, welcome to Finsider Radio. What is your first question? This one's going to be for House. All right, gentlemen, good evening. Uh, my first question for all of you is, knowing uh, the information that Brian presented tonight regarding the Ravens, and I have the utmost confidence in Gase and this coaching staff to get this team ready uh, for what I believe is the first win in a long, long time against Baltimore on the road. Um, the question basically comes down to, seeing that there's a good chance for a win, let's assume for a second the Dolphins do pull out this win on Sunday uh, to make it seven straight wins and to get to eight and four. Looking ahead at the rest of the season, what do you see the team doing in terms of those final four games and what you think the record might be since hitting seven wins already surpasses what people expect the Dolphins would do this season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, seven wins going into the year, I don't think anyone really expected the Dolphins to do anything more than that. I think that was probably the, the peak if, if they were to get there. But for me, I mean, if we can beat Baltimore and we're eight and four, uh, man, the Cardinals, they're, they're really struggling this year. So, I mean, that's a, that's a very winnable game. I can't say I'm going to be very confident going into that because of just how well the Cardinals are. And David Johnson, he's just a monster. But then you got the – we're at the Jets and at the Bills. Those are both divisional matchups. Miami on the road. I think both Kanata and I will be at that Jets game. Yelling like crazy from uh, the very top of the stadium. So, I mean, we, we saw what we did against the Jets earlier. We beat them by four points. And the Bills, we barely pulled them out against them. So, those games are going to be real tough. And then we got the Patriots uh, at home on, on New Year's Day. So, I mean, for me, if we're eight and four, uh, realistically, I'm looking at maybe two and two. I, I'd like to say three and one, but 
I just think with some of those divisional matchups and then the Arizona Cardinals, who, again, are struggling, but could just turn it on at any time. I, I think the Dolphins, if they beat the Ravens and they're eight and four, uh, finishing two and two, and they would then be 10 and six, it might be hard for them to make the playoffs. But I think uh, at this point, no matter what the Dolphins do down the stretch, it would be a real disappointment if they did end up kind of fizzling off. But for me, the Dolphins have had a successful season, and Adam Gase has uh, proven that uh, he's the head coach of the Miami Dolphins for the future. All right, thank you, House. Eric, you have one more question. This one's going to go to Sutton. What is it? What can you, what, what do you want to ask us? All right, so the last question is, jumping off uh, that future record prediction, um, you know, Parcells has famously said that you are what your record says you are. Um, but I know that when the Dolphins started 1-4, there was a lot of talk, uh, both in your show and, and, of course, in the national platform, about what's really wrong with the Dolphins. Why the team's off to a cold start yet again? What's going to happen with this team moving forward? Is Tannehill the future, et cetera, et cetera? Um, does the end of the season or the way the team's been playing now towards the end of the season, regardless of whether they make the playoffs or not, does this mask some of the issues that plague the Dolphins early on? Uh, for example, Tannebaum selections, certain players in the schemes, um, does does a winning record and maybe kind of inching towards the playoffs really kind of deter us from what really is going on with this team moving forward? Oh, very deep question uh, to ask of a first-time <laughs> participant. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for racking Thanks. my brain. Um, but no, I don't necessarily think it's a masking thing. I think there is a, a certain kernel's truth to that um, because we are a young team and we've won in such a variety of ways. Um, you know, the Kiko Alonso pick six for a touchdown was such kind of a fluky play. And uh, like I said, we've, we've won in some strange ways too. Um, winning against Cleveland was a very strange win. And so it is kind of hard to get a true barometer of uh, what this team is capable of. But what I can tell you for a fact, though, is that young players playing under a new system, under new coaches, take some time um, for things to develop. So you have to throw that into the mix. Then you also have to throw into the mix the way the injuries have unfolded this year. And thankfully it hasn't wreaked uh, – havoc on our defense considering we haven't had Xavier Howard most of the year. We haven't had Rashad Jones for most of the year. Um, so thankfully we have been able to compensate on defense and praise whatever uh, God you want to praise to have Vince Joseph here uh, working with some of the defensive talent that we have here because he's been able to mask our weaknesses and that's something that we haven't been able to do. Um, as a Dolphins defense in a while. Um, so I think you have to consider uh, the opposing viewpoint, and that is the trajectory is moving up because Adam Gates is an offensive-minded coach. We've seen improvements in the offense already. Um, we are playing at a much different level than we were at the beginning of the year. So if we can continue at that, in other words, if we can play our best football at the end of the season, which – we are not used to, are we? We are not used to. <laughs> no, at all. not at all. So not at if all. we can if we can finish the season the way that we have progressed from the beginning of the season to the middle of the season, then there's no reason to doubt anything that's going on right now. Well, I'm looking forward right, to it. Eric. I appreciate you guys being so insightful. Thanks so much. And I'm hopefully we'll see in Week 17 the Dolphins playing the Patriots in the game that actually means something for Miami once. That would be nice. Eric, thank you for calling. Please feel free to give us a call next week as well, all right? Thanks, guys. Have a good night. All right, you take too. care. All right, guys, we've hit the 47-minute mark in this show, but we're going to stay with you for 15 more minutes max, okay? If you just stick with us, I know we are hit the 45-minute mark, but we have a lot to talk about, and this is the second week in a row that we've gone over 45 minutes. But, um, I mean, and we got stuff here. on the live thread and stuff too, bro. Yeah, we, we need to address the live thread. We need to address our Twitter questions. We need to jump back for a few more points from the Ravens and 49ers game. So Sutton and House, I just snapped my fingers. You can't see me, but I can, you may be able to hear me. Um, I snapped my fingers. Take us to the live thread. Help us learn what's going on over there in that zoo. 
that we call the Finsider Radio Life Room. <laughs> you go first, out. All right. Uh, Agent J asks, do you think Kiko Alonso is worthy of a Pro Bowl consideration? Uh, I mean, we know the Pro Bowl is pretty much just a popularity contest, but, I mean, why not? It's, it's, he has 91 combined tackles on the year, two interceptions. I mean, he's playing lights out. He looks like the Kiko Alonso everyone loved when he was in Buffalo. So, I mean, I absolutely can see Kiko Alonso making the, the Pro Bowl, and I think uh, all the Dolphin fans out there should get on that so we can make it happen. All right, Sutton, what do you you got for us? Jason Scott had uh, opened up the live thread with a reference to uh, Jawan James' practice interview, and they were talking about the P Mm -hmm. word, and not the P word that either one of you are thinking of, and perhaps you're even thinking of different P words, but (laughs) they were talking about playoffs. It is my my (laughs) four-year anniversary tomorrow, just, just saying. Bounce, kabow, wow. Um, <laughs> Anyways, continue with the yeah, keyword. So, it, it just seems uh, the prevalent theme with Adam Gase and his players, and you can see it in the press conferences, they really are just focused on one game at a time. And he, I don't think he's had to, like, hypnotize them to get them to believe this or anything. I just think he presents it in a way to make them understand what the focus of the mission is. And I think that's an, a, a very important tenet of being a coach. And you can tell the way he describes his approach to the following week where he's talking about, you know, no one cares what we did last week. You know, that's the exact attitude you want to have a coach to have going forward. You're not gloating on a victory that you had. That's something that we would have done before. It's like, oh, well, we're 5-10 and 10 and now we're – uh, you know, six and ten. We just want a game, yay! You know, we're not doing that kind of stuff anymore. So, um, let me throw it to you, House. All right. Uh, for me, we got one here from Coach K. He asked, uh, "What is Coach the current K. status of Kiko? Yeah, what is the current status of Kiko Alonso's contract? And should we re-sign him to a long-term deal? Uh, I do believe he's a restricted free agent this." upcoming year. I think he missed a year due to his injury, so I think the Dolphins have him locked up on a relatively cheap contract for 2017. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the Dolphins should lock him up long-term. He seems to, to be a perfect fit for Vance Joseph's defense. Uh, big fan favorite down here, as you can tell through through the live thread. I mean, half the questions seem to be about Kiko Alonso, and I mean, yeah, he's been playing lights out. They, the love, Dolphins they love Kiko. Have, yeah, the Dolphins definitely have a huge need for a linebacker, and he seems to be playing that uh, the Mike linebacker role pretty well throughout this year. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, injury could could stop all that. But for me, I think if he keeps keeps doing what he's been doing, the Dolphins should absolutely lock him up long term. All right, Sutton, what else we have going on the live thread? We got something from our buddy Griff, and he says, I'm not familiar with Baltimore. Can we win the turnover battle? Seems to have been working out for us lately. And I think that's the exact blueprint. Uh, we're looking for here. I think we need to be opportunistic like we've talked about before, whether that's, uh, you know, in the form of special teams getting a really good return or, you know, recovering a muffed punt or something like that. Um, But it seems more likely at this point that Joe Flacco uh, will make a turnover uh, more so than Ryan Tannehill. He's taken care of the ball really well recently, and uh, we've not been fumbling the ball either. Uh, really the one sore spot has been uh, handling punts. So if we can get all that kind of stuff under control, then you have to like Miami's chances on the turnover battle. And uh, obviously the research will show you that the better you are in the turnover battle, the more likely you are to win the game. So I do think that swings in our favor. All right. How – what else we have going on there in the live? Uh, another one from Agent J. Is there any reports on how Deion Jordan looked in practice? Is there any chance he sees the field this year? Uh, I'm going to throw that one to you, Matt, since you have sources and maybe have something good to give us. Yeah, I got, I got plenty to give, give to you about Deion Jordan. Um, I don't think he sees the field this year. I think the Dolphins have been very methodical in their approach to bringing players back with injuries, bringing players up to speed, and really 
not putting them on the field until they're really in a position to succeed and do well. We've seen it this whole season and off season with Cameron Wake, with Mike Pounce, with Brandon Albert, with Devontae Parker. We're going to continue to see that with DeAndre. Remember, this guy hasn't played a snap or practice in, I think, a year and a half to two years. So very rusty. Um, mentally, he needs to get in the system and learn how to play the right way. The Dolphins have some pretty decent depth on the defensive line. Obviously, if injuries come into play, God forbid, it's a different story, but I think they're really trying to bring him back slowly, not overwhelm him with too much information, um, and get him ready for the 2017 season. And it's really kind of having a rookie in there, if you really think about it. If he hasn't played that much, his legs are fresh. If he has really turned over a new leaf, and we know that him and Kiko Alonso are really good friends, that's the kind of impact Kiko's been having, then maybe we can really get something out of Deion Jordan heading into the next season and beyond. Sutton, do we have anything else on the live thread? Yeah, we actually have a pretty interesting debate about what to do with Albert and Pouncey after the season. I know it's a little premature to start talking about this, but, you know, we're fans. We have the luxury of doing this kind of stuff. Um, And really the debate is, you know, we have – we've seen what happens with this team when we have the offensive line solidified. And I think the kind of idea on one side is – we can keep every everybody together and we spent this long trying to fix the offensive line. We've done so many different things and invested in the offensive line so many different ways. Once we have it figured out, shouldn't we just go with it even if we have to pay a little more for it? Um, and then the other side of that is, well, Brandon Albert and Mike Pouncey get injured quite a bit and that hip injury of Pouncey's is a little bit nerve-wracking for me personally and I would imagine that it's kind of nerve-wracking with some other Dolphins fans. That seems more of a, a long-term sort of injury that seems to be resurfacing a little bit. That makes me nervous. So um, I don't think it's a, a question we should ignore because um, if we are losing uh, Pouncey and or Albert due to uh, either health or just we want to save some cap space because their contracts, I think another part of this is uh, the amount of money that we can save if we release them next year. So it's, it's right. going to be an interesting interplay of, uh, you know, the contract and how healthy they think they're going to be. All right. Thanks for answering that for us. Sign. There is so much to talk about. I mean, really, if you really think about it, we could do a two-hour podcast but we know nobody's going to listen to us for two hours. Um, so we're going to hit some up. Yeah, hit some up. That makes no sense. Hit up some questions on Twitter real quick. I will take care of these. Then we'll just really jump quickly to the Ravens game on Sunday and kind of recap it and pull everything in and then leave you guys with that. Okay, so we had a few questions come in from our buddy Bob Carruth. Bob, we can only get to one of your questions tonight. And then we also had another one from Scooby Dolphins fan. Listen to the podcast for the first time last week. It was really exciting really excited to be listening and, and was bugging me all week about asking questions. So, Scooby, thank you for listening. He wants to know, are the Arizona Cardinals and Jets game a trap for the Dolphins? And what are you most impressed about during this winning streak? I think the Arizona Cardinals could be a trap game because they really they really have some talented players still. I know the record doesn't show up, but they do. On offense, they are a threat. The Jets, I don't think, is a trap game. Of course, it's a division rival, and they always play us tough. We always play each other tough but the Jets are a dumpster fire right now. They will, by the time the Dolphins play the Jets on December 17th, which I will be at MetLife with House, and we'll talk more about that on Twitter as we get up to it. We're sitting at the last row of the stadium, so it's going to be lit AF. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge <laughs> trap game for the Dolphins on December 17th. And what am I most impressed about? Just the way the Dolphins have won in clutch situations and the way the different factions of the team have carried each other in terms of offense, defense, and special teams. All right, Rob, our buddy, Caruth, let's see. Um, let's talk about this one. Short of winning out, what is the best-case realistic scenario for the Dolphins to make the playoffs? The AFC is tight right now, but the AFC West is going to beat each other up. I think the Ravens will eventually pull ahead uh, in the AFC North. You have the uh, Texans in the AFC South, which is just an absolute joke of a division. But I think the Dolphins will probably lose one to two more, 10 and six. Hopefully we'll get them in. If the Dolphins do lose, hopefully one of those is to the Cardinals because it's a non-conference game and really doesn't come into play in these tiebreakers. And then, you know, after that, they got the division games versus the Bills, Jets, and Patriots. 
so they can't really afford to lose those too much. Um, the Ravens, you know, people say this is a must-win game. If the Ravens go on to win the division, it's not totally a must-win game, but one game at a time for the Dolphins, and I know that's how the players are taking it as well. So really it's tough to say what the best-case scenario is. Six losses might not get them in. Ten and six might keep them out looking in, but who knows? We'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out. Okay, we just have a few more minutes, and I know a big topic is Mike Wallace. Uh, He tweeted on Sunday, seven days. And that wasn't a reference to the next time he's going to get, you know, or the next time he was going to get high or the next time he was going to get drunk like I do on a daily basis or the next time he was going to, (laughs) I don't know, get paid. Seven days meant the matchup against the Miami Dolphins. Will Mike Wallace have a revenge game against the Dolphins? Sutton, yes or no? Oh, man, you have to make me be all black and white about it, yes or no. Well, no, I well, want you to expand on it a little bit, but I want you to start out your statement with a yes or no. Well, yes, the possibility for a revenge game does exist, and uh, okay. especially if he's matched up on Byron Maxwell. If Byron Maxwell's not able yeah. to grab him on his way by, <laughs> he could very well get past Byron Maxwell <laughs> and um, get down the field, so... It definitely is possible, um, but after the Cincinnati game and A.J. Green, I thought was going to break the record for number of yards and receptions and touchdowns ever oh uh, for God, a wide yeah, receiver, like ever. Um, <laughs> after that, I don't. I just don't feel like opposing wide receivers have gotten behind us as much, and we've limited the big play, and we've been a little bit more – uh, bend but don't break. So yeah. um, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that even if uh, Mike Wallace is playing his A game that we're not able to stop that. So uh, it's it's a very valid question, though. Like uh, I have an article coming out on the Finsider about the three key matchups, and my number two matchup is uh, the Dolphin cornerbacks against the Raven wide receivers because – you know, the over-under this game is 40-and-a-half. It's the lowest of any NFL game in the entire week next week. Um, and it seems to be for a reason. And and, and the fans of both teams kind of know this is this is going to be a close game. Um, so you, you, you think the team that can get to 20 points is going to win this game, and the fastest road for the Ravens to win this game is a deep play to Mike Wallace or Steve Smith or something like oh, that. Stop, stop um, yeah, but I can, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and we just can't allow that to happen. We have to make them uh, go through 10, 12 play drives to be able to score points on us. All right. How do you think Mike Wallace has a revenge game against the Dolphins? Yeah, I'll be the bad guy. I'm thinking he's going to have one or two big plays. Uh, I'm going to say, I, I hate to do it, but I'm going to say two touchdowns. Oh, jeez. Okay. I am afraid of Byron Maxwell, but I think if Byron Maxwell presses him on the line, then maybe the Dolphins have a chance to stop him. They're going to have to double-team him over the top. That's just the way it's going to have to be. And hopefully the pass rush gets to Joe Flacco in time where he doesn't have enough time to drop back, wait for Wallace to get open, and throw it up deep. But we'll see what happens on Sunday. All right, folks. We had an hour-long show, and we actually on our we have a timing sheet, and I send it to the guys every Tuesday afternoon, and we have about three or four more things we can talk about, but obviously we don't want to keep you too long. We know attention spans are really only last about 10 seconds, so you probably tuned out about an hour ago. We're just talking to ourselves right now. But if you stayed with us, you get a prize. Just tweet me on Twitter. I will send you the prize, hashtag Finsider Radio Prize. Um, make sure you send it my way. You don't want his prize, everybody. You don't want the prize. I fell for that trick. It is a scam. (laughs) Oh, man. You love my prize. I will take the prize. (laughs) Thank you, House. I I know House will take the prize. And, and House, we're going to talk more about our trip coming up to New York and, and, you know, as we move closer to that and on a different podcast. But get ready. Get ready to tailgate. Get ready to get drunk. Get ready to just fall asleep in the parking lot before the game even starts. It's going to be All awesome. Right. All right, Let's guys. Listen, that is it this week for Finsider Radio. We thank you for joining us. 
Enjoy the game on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. Let's hope it's a Dolphins win. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week. O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.